3: I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, Lucky Day, Mr. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good <laughs> question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Podi, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner program.
1: Good morning, Tom. How you doing?
3: Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. <laughs>
4: Stay tuned, because it's on
1: now. The Tom Sumner Program.
0: This is a message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Older adults and people of any age who have serious underlying medical conditions are at higher risk for severe illness from COVID-19. If you are at higher risk, you should stay home as much as possible and avoid close contact with people who are sick to protect yourself. Call your doctor if you have concerns about COVID-19 and your medical condition or if you get sick. For more information, visit cdc.gov.
5: Happy Holidays! Jenea, Seth, Tania, Zoe, Autumn,
3: Destiny, and the Tom Sumner Program.
2: Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, my guest this hour is the author of more than 200 books for young readers on basketball, baseball, football, soccer, and more. He is a former editor at Sports Illustrated and NFL Publishing, and uh, he's just uh, recently teamed up with National Geographic Kids for a book about soccer called It's a Numbers Game, the math behind the perfect goal, the game-winning save, and so much more from sports writer James Buckley, Jr., who joins me now by phone. Hey, Jim, welcome to the show.
4: Thanks very much for having me on today.
2: Um, You know, I'm used to thinking of of geometry related to billiards, for example, (laughs) and all sports have statistics. But Mm -hmm. what's the deal with, with soccer and math?
4: Well, soccer is basically one big giant game of geometry. Uh, You've got shapes moving around the field. You've got angles where the ball is moving. You have vectors where the ball is rolling. Uh, You have a sphere moving through the air. That's physics. That's math. So uh, the way that anything moves can be connected to mathematics and geometry. What we try and do with a series, it's a numbers game, is combine the basic elements of math and, and geometry with a sport that we know kids love. And so for young readers and young soccer players and young students, it's a great way to combine a couple of, one thing they may not be as excited about math, with things we know they're excited about, uh, which is sports. Specifically the soccer, there is admittedly um, a lot less um uh, math and stats in soccer than in other sports just because there's fewer, uh, there's fewer data points. There's not as many things to count in a soccer game as there is in a baseball game or a football game. Uh, there's just a, It's a much simpler uh, flow of action, passes, shots, saves, assists, some of the things you can count. Um, but uh, since there are so few, knowing the ones that are used, uh, can make you uh, help you understand the game a lot better um, and understanding uh turns into action and action turns into getting better on the field and getting better on the field means you have more fun and that 's the whole point of the sport after all
2: i can 't even imagine trying to plot the uh um, the math involved in hockey
4: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, very fast, but if you slow it down there 's a lot of math in hockey too
2: oh i'm i'm sure there is it 's just yeah. uh way fast for me. Um, but let's, um, let's pick this apart a little bit. The, um, soccer and, and you mentioned almost parenthetically that this is part of a series.
4: Mm Mm-hmm. There is a, it's called, it's a numbers game is the series. We did a book on basketball, which came out earlier this year. And we have a book on baseball that's coming out next spring. Uh, I think they have a football book planned for about a year from now. Um, but soccer is the, the one that's out right now. So, yeah, we think it's a great way to combine, uh, you know, combining sports and math is nothing new. We're not breaking new ground here. It's been done in, in classrooms and curriculums, and I've written other books on that, that, that you know, combined the things before. Um, but it's a natural connection because, you know, what's the first thing you think about? One of the first things you think about with any sport is stats. Yeah. keeping track of everything, you know. And uh, soccer, like we said, doesn't have quite as many, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have some. It has quite a bunch. And so how do you keep track of goals? How do you see which goalies are the best by having the best goals against average? Well, that's, a, that's some math right there. Um, one of the newer stats in, in soccer is called possession percentage, which is basically uh, what percentage of a game, how much of a game does a team control the ball, and how does knowing that number affect The strategy. So is in fact possessing the ball 72% of the time better than 57% of the time, and why? And so teams can look at that kind of information and to to strategize. Um, So it's uh, it's 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 a natural connection, um, but it's it's for players. Alex Morgan, who is a superstar for the U.S. Women's National Team, was nice enough to write the forward. (laughs) Uh, to the book and in the forward she talks about how um, they constantly talk about angles in practice so in practice in other words when they have time to think about it and stop and plan they think about angles. so what's my angle of attack toward the goal what angle should i take so that i can be open for a pass um, if i'm going to run past this defender what's the angle i should take to get there that's all geometry But during the game, you don't stop and think about it. It's intuitive, but you have to have the basis for that intuition. And so learning about how soccer players see the field as a series of triangles. We have a really nice spread in the book about the triangle being the most important shape in soccer and understanding how that moving triangle sort of wanders throughout the field constantly wherever the ball is. And that gives you, once you see it, on paper, and then you watch it in the game, it immediately comes to view. you immediately go oh look there 's that triangle. I just read about that, and you see it, and you understand why they 're doing it and it just it makes the game more enjoyable to be able to track that kind of information.
2: How did soccer get the uh, the handle the beautiful the beautiful game
4: That comes uh, directly from uh, Brazil uh, to be honest. Uh, the game had been played for many decades uh, before. Um Brazil really started to change the way it was played. Um soccer as it began in England uh in the 1860s and 1870s was a really rough sport, very very uh physical, um not very uh, crisp, not very delicate. It uh, involved lots of long kicks, big tackles, um lots of smashing into things. The Brazilians began to focus a lot more on the smaller aspects of the game the dribbling the quick passing uh, the movement of the, of the players to be in a place for the ball would suddenly find them um, a lot of that started because um, unlike England where they had lots of space to play in South America a lot of the greatest players and a lot of the people came up from the very very tightly packed cities there wasn't a lot of room to play so you had to learn to play in very small spaces Well, when you translate that being able to play in very small spaces to a larger field and you keep those little small movements and you put them all together in linked groups on this giant field, suddenly the game just looks more fluid. It looks more balletic. It looks more beautiful. And that's really why it became known as the Beautiful Game, because of the way that uh, primarily South American teams introduced just a level of of balletic movement, for want of a better term, uh, into what was then kind of a rough and tumble uh, sport.
2: And this this series that you're doing um, is a great way to deal with um, this thing that I've heard, you know, so many times from people. They get out of school and they say, you know, geez, I studied all that math and I never used that in my everyday life. Sure. And you've heard people say that too, I'm sure. Um but this this really kind of heads that off at the pass by by unpacking people's favorite sports mathematically.
4: Right. Well, it's you know, it's it's aimed at young people, so we want to inspire them from the start to make uh their understanding of math and everyday thing and obviously one of the things they're most in love with is sports so if we can connect math to something they already love it makes it a lot easier for them to connect math to uh, their personal finances for instance where they might use math or some other part of their lives where math is a more important thing understanding Uh, statistics as presented in the newspapers or in the magazines or uh, online. Uh, We've seen this this past year uh, having an understanding of science and math and uh, um, statistics has been literally life-saving importance to people. And so why not have sports be uh, an avenue for people to get that uh, into their lives early on? Um, And uh, I think everyone. Says they don't use math and they're afraid of math, but I think people forget how often they use math every single day.
2: Oh, really I I, I think that's true. I, I think you're right about I, when that.
4: When you when you think how many miles per gallon your car gets, that's math. You know, you know, when you go to the store to figure out how much money you got left over, that's math. When you're planning out this month's budget, that's math. I think it's people are just have there's this sort of uh, sort of automatic atavistic fear of math that is kind of gone sort of beyond reality and uh... it's kind of become a cliche so uh... we're trying to get kids off that path right from the start
2: more with sports writer james buckley straight
1: everybody's doing a brand new
6: dance now
4: hi this is mark farner and you're listening to the tom sumner program
1: Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. Better not bow. I'm telling you why. Oh, Santa,
4: Santa
1: Claus is oh, coming. He's making a list, checking it. Twice gonna find out who's naughty or nice. Old oh, Santa, Santa Claus is coming. Oh, he comes to town. He's coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. For goodness sake Oh, you better watch out Better not cry Better not pout I'm telling you why Oh, Santa Claus Is coming to town He's coming to town The kids and girl and boy land Will have a jubilee Gonna make a toy land oh, Tree. Oh, you better watch out, better not cry, better not pout, I'm telling you why. Oh, Santa Claus is coming, hear those play bells coming, Santa Claus is coming.
0: Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The time
1: program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com. Happy holidays from Kevin, from Kenneth, from Louis. Martelia Newman from Marisha
2: and the Tom Sumner Program. More with sports writer James Buckley straight ahead. Now soccer is growing hugely in popularity in the U.S. It's always been popular yeah. around the rest of the world. But so in the u s we have football and soccer everywhere else in the world, soccer is called football. How did mm-hmm. it end up with two names?
4: Uh, this is a great story which soccer fans uh love to tell to non soccer fans uh, back in eighteen sixty three uh, there were two competing groups of sports organizations in England, and they got together to figure out how they could organized the rules. Of the, there, was, there were games all over the place, and everybody was playing by different rules. So they all said, this is crazy. We've got to get on the same page here. So they had a meeting at a pub in England in 1863, a story we tell in the book. And they decided, okay, we're going to split up into two groups. One of you is going to play with your hands. We're going to call that rugby football because that was named rugby, started the rugby school. And the other one's going to play with our feet, no hands. And that's going to be called association football. Because we'll all associate with each other on the field. So that's how it started in England, and the association football began and still played there today. Although they just call it football now. In America, we already had a sport at the same time that we called football that rarely used your foot, and mostly was smashing your head into each other, so we should have called it headball, but anyway. Um, so <laughs> to avoid confusion, we needed a new name for this kicking sport that was coming over from England and the abbreviation for association is assoc or asoc so it became asoc football or simply soccer so that's why there's two names
2: and and yet there's that's a the wor- and yet there's a world soccer cup
4: there is the world cup it is not called the world soccer cup it's called the world cup um, and it's organized by fifa which is the federation internationale de football association uh, Oh, that's so- right the Federation of Association Football uh, is what the World Organization is known as. Um, Soccer is called soccer in the United States, somewhat in Canada, a little bit in Australia because they have Australian rules football down there. They have their own separate kind of football. Um, I think there's one or two other small countries that call it soccer. But otherwise, it's basically football or the word for football in that language.
2: And, and how many books will end up in this series? What what all sports will be part of well, the It's a Game sure. or a Numbers Game? We've game.
4: already done Basketball. That came out in last January, uh, sadly, with a, a forward by Kobe Bryant, um, who uh, actually the book was published like two days before he passed away. It was really sad oh, when we, yeah. we heard that terrible news. But um, uh, then this book is just out now with Soccer with a forward by Alex Morgan, I mentioned, from the U.S. Women's National Team, and then coming out in, I believe, March next year is uh, it's a numbers game baseball, which obviously has packed with numbers, tons of stuff in that book. Um, the forwards by Sean Doolittle, great uh, pitcher for the Washington Nationals, and then uh, I believe football is on tap for about a year from now, and after that we'll see how the series does, and maybe we can do hockey next.
2: <laughs> hockey will be a fun one. Um,
4: yeah, but I. I
2: you know, I'm looking through this book, and I'm always impressed with everything National Geographic does because of the quality of the photographs and and, yeah. the, and the printing quality and the reproductions of those photographs in sure. the books themselves. Um, you've been an editor for different publications, Sports Illustrated mm-hmm. and uh, NFL Publishing. Um, yeah. How is it working with National Geographic? Do you get to... to Actually, be part of the the selection of photographs and and yeah, uh, the absolutely. layout. Well, one
4: of the, yeah, one of the things I brought to the table with the it's a numbers game series that I brought with sports expertise. They their editors um, just it's not an area they have expertise in. Um, they're, they're great at science and they're great at at uh, national history and they're great at animals and, and geography but yeah, not at most
2: sports. most so of us wouldn't know difference. anything about underwater cave diving
4: <laughs> see there you go and they do well those folks don't know a lot about sports and i do and so they brought me in as basically this the resident sports expert so um they had this idea of combining math and science which they knew about with sports and uh, I developed the series in terms of what the content was and how to explain different things and how to organize the book. And uh, I wrote the whole book, uh, all the books in the series and so far. And then they designed the book in, in sort of in concert with me. So I would suggest a diagram, or I would say, hey, we need to draw a picture of this. Or, and I would do very crude versions, and they would do beautiful versions, which is what they're good at. And um, obviously I looked at the pages after they were designed to make sure that the photographs were accurate and showed the particular... Point of information we were trying to show. Um, my favorite story about that is that uh, many years ago I worked with a company um, in India to do a book on American football. For whatever reason they wanted to do one, and I said, "Okay, well, you want me to pick the pictures?" And they said, "No, no, we'll we'll pick the pictures and show you what we're going to do." I said, <laughs> "Great, okay." So they sent me all the pictures they'd picked, and every single one of them was rugby. There wasn't one. There wasn't oh, one fair. American football picture in the bunch. And so, so I said, "Yeah, you." We want to revisit that. Uh, So uh, in this case, though, National Geographic did a great job, and and, uh, um, we were partnered with, we were also partnered with ESPN, and so obviously their sports expertise uh, was helpful, um, along with mine, to make sure that everything was uh, uh, fabulous and beautiful and exactly right.
2: You know, a lot of books that come out from National Geographic or even National Geographic kids, the photos come from this expansive collection they have. Where did these photographs come, because they are so specific to the things you selected to write about and point out?
4: Well, um, some came from their collection. uh, Again, because this was not a topic that National Geographic had covered very much, Uh, I believe most of the photographs were from Sports stock agencies from around the world, sports photographers around the world, um, uh, that sort of thing uh, they did I believe arrange some of the photography to be taken. Uh, one of the fun things about the book, especially for younger readers is at the end of every chapter we have a uh, a game or activity that they can the kids can do a very simple game activity to play outdoors, uh, summer indoors as well. And so we did some – I think they did some photo shoots to arrange the – showing the kids demonstrating, like, here's how you do the dribbling drill, and this is how the goalie drill is, and this is how you play that game. So uh, a wide mixture of sources to find just the right picture.
2: You know, one of the one of the big stories this year, of course, um, that has dominated everything is the pandemic, and it's it's been uh, – Kind of awkward for a lot of sports uh, franchises trying to figure out how to continue the the traditions and and uh, continue the games. How has it impacted uh, soccer? And I'm talking about uh, it, the pandemic. It's same as every other
4: sport, there was a great pause, the great big timeout, as we like to say. Um, and uh, soccer around the world took most of. March, April, May, June off, um, and then slowly worked with governments to come up with relatively safe ways to play in front of no fans. So the biggest change as uh, World Soccer League started to play again here in the United States as well as around the world was no fans in the stands uh, for the most part. And so that's the biggest change, obviously. Um, players uh, the, you know, have been able to play at the international level pretty much consistently since... August, July, August, somewhere in there, Uh, and they're still playing. I watched a bunch of games yesterday from the Champions League, which is a great competition amongst the top uh, professional clubs in Europe uh, that's going on right now, and so they've been able to uh, adjust, just like everybody else. Um, They can't wait for there to be fans in the stands, obviously, just like everybody else, but uh, right now, things seem to be you know, moving along somewhat. The U.S. women's national team got to play. In fact, Alex Morgan got to be our forward writer, got to be on the field um, last week uh, for the first time in seven or eight months. So uh, it's great to see the games. And for all of us uh, shut in at home, we get to enjoy our soccer.
2: You know, for the longest time, about all that people in the U.S. knew about soccer was that uh, there were these tremendous. Uh, outbreaks of, of literally violence and, and uh, revelry following games in other parts of the world. Um, of course, we haven't seen that same kind of reaction uh, in the U.S., but has it been, uh, because of those things, has it been, um, do you think, a little bit of a, a relief in some ways that that fans aren't going to the games in the various venues and host cities
4: i wouldn't say that at all no i would say the opposite we want lots of people in the stands we want fans we want excitement we want the joy that the game brings the uh occasional sporadic moments of uh over exuberance happen <laughs> in the united states just as much as they happen somewhere else as we've witnessed uh after Super Bowl and World Series victories in cities across the country. So uh, getting out of hand uh, after your team wins or loses is not uh, not exclusive to soccer fans by any means. Uh, I think that the reputation of the sport in the United States uh, suffered for a long time just from the mystery of it. Uh, people didn't know what it was, um, and they couldn't understand the sport that they didn't play or watch or see um and it's the same as you know cricket today americans think cricket what that's the dumbest i can't understand it at all but if you stop and look at it it's a really simple game to understand and a billion people around the world uh, think it's the greatest thing ever so it's 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 not a question of soccer was not popular or was looked uh, down on because of what the fans did off the field or anything like that, it was because the people just didn't understand it. They didn't know it. How uh, similar? the last 20 or 30 years as, as we've come to know it, as more and more people have seen it, as kids growing up uh, playing it have, have learned that it's more, there's more to it than, than meets the eye, um, it has just grown you know, radically since then.
2: How, how similar is cricket to uh, American baseball?
4: Um, it has a lot of similarities, and it has some differences. Um, it, 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 the, the basic idea is a, a, a pitcher and a batter, a bowler and a batsman, as they call it, and uh, fielders trying to prevent uh, the batsman from running bases. Now, there's only two of them as opposed to four. Um, the number of pitches is limited uh, as opposed to pitchers who can throw, keep throwing forever in baseball. Every pitcher and Bowler in cricket gets six shots, six pitches at a time. Um, The most fun thing about cricket, I think, is that the batter can hit it in any direction. So there's no foul balls. (laughs) Um, He gets bowled the ball, he swings, and he can hit it backwards, he can hit it sideways, he can hit it straight ahead, he can hit it however he wants. And uh, um, he doesn't have to run. If he doesn't think he hit it far enough that he can get to a base safely, he just stands there. Okay. (laughs) Didn't happen. Pitch again. So um, it's it's uh, once you get into it, it's quite a fun game. But uh, anyway, so but back to soccer. I think um, yeah. uh, we really have seen another great development in soccer in the last uh, couple of decades in America, and that is the enormous popularity of the United States women's national team and the growth of, of women in soccer. Um, more so than almost any other major sport, maybe basketball. You throw in there, uh, soccer has really become. An enormously inclusive sport, and that the women's sports um, have greatly benefited uh, from the growth of soccer in the United States. The women's national team is the best team in the world. Uh, We can't say that about very many of our uh, national sports teams, maybe, you know, basketball when the pros get to play. Um, But uh, the fact that American women have led the way um, in world soccer and that millions and millions of girls have gotten a chance to play sports because of soccer, uh, I think is one of the really great benefits. And I'm super happy to see Alex Morgan in our book. And we really focus a lot in the book on making sure that we let kids know that everybody really is welcome and um, it, it, there's a spot for everybody on the soccer field, no matter who you are.
2: Well, and not to mention the important contribution of soccer moms.
4: Soccer moms. Absolutely. We love soccer moms. I had a soccer mom. My mom was a soccer mom. I, my wife was a soccer mom. Uh, it's, it's kind of a cliché, but uh, the very fact that there's a cliché in America with the word soccer in it, <laughs> to me. Is well, a and, and
2: that is um, kind of interesting because there is this whole persona built up around soccer moms with the minivan and, you know, hauling kids to soccer practice. I don't ever remember seeing anything like that for baseball or football or basketball.
4: Well, it hit a, it hit kind of a, a but sort of that you know post-boomer uh, having kids groundswell of population. So I think it was kind of both democratic and uh, demographic and social that you had a, a much larger number of parents being heavily involved in their kids' lives. The thing that more kids were doing than any other was soccer, and those two things kind of happened at the same time. If if you know if If moms were super involved with their kids' lives well like my kid, my mom never took me to baseball practice when I was growing up. I just got on my bike and went yeah. there wasn't like an organized group there wasn't like soccer you know team moms. you just showed up and then you came home that was it um, but that that idea that parents need to be super involved that happened in the seventies and the eighties that you know we you know our, we were just you know, our, the next generation, us, me, <laughs> um, my, with my, I coach my kid in soccer every year uh, for 11 years. Um, and I loved it. It was great. But my dad never coached me in any sport, not once. It didn't occur to him. So I think there was a cultural shift, and it happened at the same time that soccer was the dominant sport. So if basketball had been the dominant sport, it would have been basketball moms. Yeah.
2: And I have to think that the fact that there is so little violence in soccer, has to be appealing to moms and dads too.
4: Oh, absolutely! No, no, it's a it's a it's a it's a safe sport. I mean, it's a physical sport. It's a contact sport. You run into each other. It happens, but that's not the point of the game. And that's a big that's a big a big plus for for parents certainly today. Um, you definitely you know for instance one of the nice things and when I was growing up we would hit the ball with our heads at any age. Today's kids are not coached on, how to, uh, on, how, on, on using their heads. They're told not to use their head for the ball until they're, I think, mostly 11 or 12 at this point um, because scientists have learned of the impact of repeated you know, head balls and, and concussions on young brains. Well, what a great development. The, youth, the sport was already really safe, and now the one thing that wasn't super safe Let's let's change that and let's make it even safer. Um, So, yeah, absolutely. Very good point, because soccer is um, is a relatively safe, super fun, positive physical activity for people of any age. Really, I I suggest you try it yourself. It's a great game. I've been playing. I play on men's leagues uh, whenever they let us for the last 30 years.
2: And yeah, and you still play.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, when they let us, yeah, we, we can't wait. I've been on the men's league, the Los Renegados, uh, the Renegades. We've been playing together for going on 20 years. It's a great team. We have players from about nine different countries. Uh, we get together every week and pretend we're young and have a great time playing the game we love.
2: Now I'm looking at a at a hard copy, a hard uh, a hard cover copy of uh, the mm-hmm. book. It's a numbers game. Um, But I'm always curious, uh, because so many people are um, just sort of addicted to the computer, that I I wonder, is there an electronic version of the book?
4: That's a really good question. I assume there is. Uh, We certainly have found in kids' nonfiction that the uh, percentage of people buying the electronic version of any of our nonfiction books is is tiny, 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 tiny. less than 5% in many cases, uh, not even uh, really a big deal. Um, uh, you certainly can get it, as far as I know, available uh, as an ebook. book but uh, it's really a book that's best enjoyed um, in paper, in front of you, lying down on the floor, looking at it, looking at the diagrams, maybe taking some of those things into action. Um so uh yeah so whenever uh you know people are trying to buy it I definitely suggest they go to their independent bookstore we really want to support independent bookstores uh, sure. especially during the pandemic we really need to keep them open to help spread the the knowledge of the world if you don't have an independent near you obviously the online bookstores Amazon whatnot, uh, uh can track it down for you um uh, I think Barnes and Noble still out there too so try them out so Really appreciate it. I hope folks consider it as a Christmas gift book. It's a great book for any age kid um, and uh, a great introduction to soccer. And uh, don't tell them, but they might learn something.
2: (laughs) It's better to sneak that stuff in, isn't it?
4: That's it. That's the plan.
2: Um, Is it kind of a tough time to be coming out with a book because of the pandemic?
4: No, it's a great time. Books are doing great. Um, Really, on nonfiction, the single largest um, uh, the, the book category that has had the largest growth from last year to this year is mine, juvenile nonfiction. We're up 35% or more wow. uh, over what we sold last year. So the pandemic has created enormous uh, market and opportunities for, um, for nonfiction books for kids because parents are looking for uh, ways to um, entertain, educate, inform uh, they're kids that, that obviously the schools, because they're so impacted, uh, aren't able to do as well. And so it's been a super year for kids' nonfiction books, um, which is a, a great silver lining to this horribleness.
2: And, and this is a, a great book for just that. It's a numbers game, Soccer, the math behind the perfect goal, the game-winning save, and so much more uh, from uh, sports writer James Buckley. Um, Jim I always we're, we're just about out of time I I can't believe how fast it's gone. Um I know it was great. But uh I always give guests a chance to let listeners know where they can find out more. Of course the book is uh you know is everywhere. Um but yeah. do you have a website where people can kind of keep track of uh, or get to know you and your work? I mean I've tell future?
4: you, yeah well, uh, I would definitely send people to the National Geographic Kids website. They have tons of information, not only on this book, but there's another book in this series on basketball. And you can also find out other information about the great National Geographic Kids uh, activities. Um, I run a company called the Shoreline Publishing Group. If you want to see the books we produce, it's at shorelinepublishing.com. That's shoreline, Uh, We've done a lot of great nonfiction books over the years, and uh, I'm really happy to tell everybody about this one. And I thank you for having me on today.
2: James Buckley, thank you so much, and best of luck with the book and the upcoming books in the series.
4: You bet. You bet. Happy holidays to all. Take care. Same to you. Bye-bye.
2: That was uh, James Buckley, author of more than 200 books for young readers on basketball, baseball, football, soccer, and more. He's a former editor at Sports Illustrated and NFL Publishing. He is also the author of the top-selling annual Scholastic Year in Sports. This new book that we were talking about today is uh, from National Geographic Kids and ESPN. It's called It's a Numbers. It's part of the It's a Numbers game series, the second book in the series. This one on soccer, the math behind the perfect goal, the game winning save, and so much more by James Buckley Jr. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight.
1: do the right thing and stay inside with me. You
3: might just save life,
1: or two, or three, or four, or maybe five. Let's see lies Are we crazy, baby? This isolated type ain't all that bad Are we lazy? Maybe But it's a welcome change of face from the mask Are we crazy? Maybe This isolated type ain't all that bad We want
3: to say hello We want to see you smile We'd like to sing some good old Christmas songs With songs about old Santa and his reindeer sleigh And gee, I just can't wait until it's Christmas Day We're gonna set you wise, we love to harmonize And if we had our way, we'd never stop We'll say hello, we'll see And we'll sing some good
1: old Christmas songs We'll say hello We'll see you smile
3: And we'll sing some good old Christmas songs
0: And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit CDC.gov. Hi, this is Tom Baudette from Manger 6. We know you've been traveling a lot this holiday season and you've probably been told there's no room at the inn. Well, that's just not the case here at Manger 6. Why, for just 29 drachma, we'll put you up in a warm, comfortable stable with plenty of fresh milk for the newborn. There's even individual stalls for your mules, camels, or whatever you happen to be driving across a desert. And in case unexpected visitors decide to drop in on you, shepherds, wise men, holy ghosts, it's not a problem at Manger Six. There's plenty of frankincense and myrrh to go around. This is Tom Bodette from Manger Six reminding you there's always room at this inn. We'll even leave a star out for you.
3: And the Tom Sumner Program.
6: Hey kids, it's me, Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. And do I have a holiday story for you. Once upon holiday time, a very nice lady wanted to give some money to a charity that she thought was doing good things in her community. While the very nice lady was thinking about what charity to give to, a very bad man was planning to trick her by pretending to be a good guy. But he was actually stealing her money. What a bad guy, right? But the very nice lady was also a very smart lady, and she knew that my office has a whole team of people ready to go after the bad guys. Now, this very nice and very smart lady also did her homework. So when the bad guy called her and said he was from Acme Charitable Foundation, she asked him some very important questions. Questions that everyone who is donating to a charity this holiday season should ask. First, she asked the bad guy for the name, address, and phone number of the Acme Charitable Foundation so she could look it up to make sure it was real.
2: Yeah, it is a legitimate charity. Nunchucks for Ducks. Teaches martial arts to needy ducks.
6: Next, the very nice and smart lady asked him for the ACME Charitable Foundation's nonprofit registration number to make sure it was registered by my department to ask for donations.
2: What's my registration number? It's uh 8675309 for
4: W0.
6: Then she asked how much of her donation would actually be used by the Acme Charitable Foundation to do what it's supposed to do. Next, because she's smart, the very nice lady asked if her donation was tax deductible. And finally, she told him she would do her homework by visiting her connection to consumerprotection.michigan.gov/ag or call our charitable trust section and if the acme charitable foundation checked out she would donate online using a credit card and the bad guy hung up because he knew she was a very smart lady and would not be tricking her this holiday season so kids the moral of this story is this well there are lots of people in need this holiday season and it's important to give Make sure your money goes to the right place.
5: every greeting. Some